Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, our text this morning will be reading and focused particularly on verse 11 of John 15, but will make reference to much of the section that starts in verse 1 and, and really runs to verse 17. As you're turning, I just would simply observe, I, I gave serious thought uh, in reworking what I had for us this morning. Um, I wrote my sermon as I normally do on Wednesday morning. Um, before the events of Wednesday unfolded in um, our city, which is already raw and struggling, uh, knew the, the weirdness and, and horror of what happened on Wednesday uh, all day. Um, but as I considered what to do, I, I came to the conclusion that as we know suffering in, in our own personal lives and in the life of our city, we as a people still have to figure out how to love one another. Um, we, we still have to live out this, this call that Jesus gives to us in this passage um, of loving well and so knowing joy uh, that results because, of course, love is, in fact, the apologetic for the gospel. Jesus says, by this they'll know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. And so if we ever desire to make an impact in our city, whether in big ways or small ways, that will only happen as we are a people and we are a church culture that loves well, that loves Jesus and loves whom Jesus loves and what Jesus loves. And so it, I do think what we have for us this morning, wherever we may be right now emotionally, I do think what Jesus has for us in this passage this morning is exactly what we need to hear. And so with that in mind, we need to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to come and to use his word to minister deeply to us. Let's ask him to do that. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come desiring to hear the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and to open our eyes of faith, to minister into the deep parts of our hearts, to bind up our wounds, even as we sorrow, and grant us your joy, because we've come to know your love. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So then, John chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here at the end of this series, we've called Reset, Becoming the Church Culture that Jesus Wants Us to Have. I want to return to the beginning of the series. Um, if you remember back at the end of July, um, I mentioned last year's Memphis Grizzlies team, and, and one of the things that came so clear about that team, and even its leader, John Morant, was, was the joy that they had as they played together. It, it was observable to all those who watched them all year long, as, as I did. I, I rarely missed a game uh, through the season. It, it was clear that they genuinely enjoyed playing together, 
and they enjoyed being around each other, which isn't easy during the long grind of an NBA season. And I, I mentioned back at the end of July what, what Jeff Calkins wrote about the team after they beat the Phoenix Suns. He, he had written, I mean, is your place of work as joyful as the Grizzlies? Is it as supportive and as free of egos and angst? Where else can you watch a group of people in any walk of life working together with such zest, such joy? But, but others saw it too. During the playoffs, the, the Golden State Warriors head coach, Steve Kerr, he observed about Ja Morant. I, I love watching Ja play more than I love coaching against him. He's a brilliant player, but he plays with such freedom and joy. And you can see how much he loves the game. It's infectious. Where does joy come from? Where does this joy come from? Well, I think inadvertently, Jeff Hawkins and Steve Kerr, they, they put their finger on it. Joy comes from love. In this instance, love for the game and love for one's teammates that produces mutual support and humility and zest and joy. But, but every healthy organizational culture, whether it's your family, whether it's your workplace, whether it's your school, your civic organization, whether it's this church, your church, IPC, it works the very same way. C.S. Lewis observed that joy is ultimately the byproduct of love. We don't find joy by searching for joy. We find joy as we love well. And when we don't love well, then we and those around us are more likely to experience despair rather than joy. I'm sure I'll never forget this conversation, but that I had with one of our elders, it was a couple of years ago now. But he was telling me about his now adult son's observations on why when he comes back to town, uh, come back to Memphis, he didn't want to worship at IPC. Um, his synopsis of, of why was, was quite simple. He said, Dad, it, there's no joy there. And when this elder told me this story, it cut me to the quick because I, I knew why this now adult child of our church, one who grew up in this church, why he said this. It was because we collectively, as a group, we hadn't been loving well. The deep fissures of many years had taken a toll on us. Everything I've been trying to say, not just in the series, but friends, through six years of being here at IPC has been about whom we love and, and how we love. It's been about loving well, loving Jesus especially, but then having come to love Jesus, loving one another. Because I truly believe that if we love well, we will be a place of great, deep, abiding joy. And I believe that because Jesus tells us this in this passage. The verse that we read is actually the hinge on which two paragraphs swing. The paragraphs around verse 11. And we're going to come this way again in John's gospel in a, in a couple of months. And we'll look at the entire section in, at that point in detail. But, but for our purposes, I just want to take verse 11, phrase by phrase, and meditate a little bit so that we might see how it is that joy really is the end of it all. So Look again at John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So think about these things. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you. The question comes, what things? What are the things that Jesus has been telling his disciples? What are the things that Jesus has been telling us? I suggest to you this morning that these things center on three actions. Abiding, obeying, and loving. First, abiding. That, That word abide, if you were to read the entire section, it shows up 11 times in verses 1 to 17 here in John 15. In fact, it's a favorite word of the Apostle John. It shows up 38 times in his gospel and his letters. So when you look at verse 4 of John 15, you have to ask the question, what does Jesus mean by this? Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What does that mean? Abide in him. What is this image of a branch abiding or remaining in a vine? What does that have to do with us? Why is Jesus telling us this? Well, I think abiding or remaining in Jesus means staying in his love, delighting in his love, resting, remaining in his love. Jesus is going to say in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, So have I loved you. Abide in my love. In other words, don't run away from me. Don't try to do things in your own strength. Because he says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So so one thing Jesus is saying among these things is to stay. Remain. Abide in my love. Well, we have to ask the question, what does that look like? What does it look like to to stay or to remain or to abide in Jesus' love? It looks like obeying. I mean, that's what Jesus says. Look at at verse 9, chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so abiding or remaining or or staying in Jesus's love looks like obeying what Jesus has told us to do. Conversely then, not obeying what Jesus has told us to do means that we're stepping away from Jesus and his love. It means we're moving away from him. It means we're not abiding in him. We're cutting ourselves off from him. Cutting ourselves off to the vine, trying trying to do things in our own strength, in our our, our own wisdom, seeking to bear fruit apart from Jesus. That's what happens when we don't obey him. And so Jesus is telling us these things, that, that abiding, staying, remaining in his love, knowing his love, it, resting in his love, re, returning his love back to him as we receive it, it it's all contingent on obeying Jesus. So you have to ask the next question. What does Jesus want us to do? What has he commanded us to do so that we might abide in his love? What has he commanded us to do? Loving. That's what he says. Look, look at verse 12. 
We've just heard verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So, so loving Jesus, remaining, abiding, staying in his love, it's tied to obeying him. And the way we obey Jesus is to love one another. In fact, such love for one another would cause us to lay down our lives for each other. Now, we often think that laying down our lives for each other is some kind of large, notable, dramatic, heroic act. And it can be. I mean, for sure it can be. But I, I actually think that laying down our lives for each other can be these smaller, not noticeable daily actions that are no less heroic. Like when a friend says something that's patently untrue about another person, laying down our lives means speaking up and saying, yeah, that's not true, and you know it, and you need to stop. Or when someone makes a mistake, an honest mistake, some foolish statement or some thoughtless action, laying down our lives in love means we cover over it with forgiveness. When someone has done us irreparable harm, laying down our lives means means that we treat them in principled ways, even when we find that we can't trust them. We still are going to extend ourselves appropriately to treat them the way we would want to be treated, even though we're not quite sure we can trust them anymore. We're still going to, to love. Now, none of these things will attract the attention, perhaps, of others, but they will garner the friendship, the, the love of, of Jesus. They, they demonstrate that we're doing what he says. It demonstrates that we're doing these things that he's told us when we're abiding and obeying and loving. And the end result of it is what? What does Jesus say is the result of doing these things? Well, look again at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that for this purpose, my joy may be in you. Now think about that for a minute. Just stop and think about what Jesus is at. That my joy, my joy may be in you. What's the nature of Jesus's joy? Well, it's nothing less than divine delight. It is the same joy, the same delight that Jesus experiences by loving and obeying the Father and being, and being loved by the Father himself. It's the same joy, the same delight that Jesus experiences by, by loving the Holy Spirit and being loved again by the Holy Spirit. It's the same joy that Jesus experiences as he prays in the Holy Spirit or as he welcomes sinners to his table or as, as he goes to seek his bride. It's the same joy that Jesus experiences as the God-man, as the Savior of his people when he wins our salvation and when he sees our repentance and when he rescues us lost sheep. This is the delight and joy of God himself. And Jesus says that his joy, this divine delight, will be in you. In you. 
His joy will be dwelling in you. It's as the child's song puts it, isn't it? I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Jesus' own joy, his own delight that he experiences as, as God and human will dwell in our hearts. Why? Well, because of these things he's spoken. And what were they? How do we put it all together? Well, Jesus' joy will dwell in our hearts when we stay in his love by obeying his demand that we love one another. In other words, joy is the result of love. And when we love, his joy will become your joy. And that's because his love becomes your love, isn't it? The one who loves the Father and the Spirit and is loved by the Father and the Spirit and who loves us with a steadfast, always and forever kind of love, his love received and given will become your love received and given. And the result, the end of it all, is joy. I mean, it has to be, doesn't it? Where there is love, the inevitable byproduct is joy. Sarah and I have seen this over the past few weeks as we have been looking at the wedding pictures from our son Sam's wedding this summer. But you've seen those kinds of wedding pictures. You know what they look like. When you look at those wedding pictures, what do you see? Well, you see the love of two young people who've committed themselves in marriage. You see, hopefully, as it was in our case, the love of two families coming together through this marriage. You see the flowers and the tuxedos and the parties, the engagement party, the wedding party, the, the rehearsal dinner party, the reception party, with all of the family and friends bound together in laughter, in, in love. You see the parents and maybe even the grandparents holding hands, remembering the love that caused them to share their name and to bear these children and to bring them to adulthood. You see the father dancing with the bride. You see the mother dancing with the groom. All the tears and smiles and love. You see in those wedding pictures all of this love. And captured in those pictures is something else, isn't there? It's joy. It's the joy that is the result of love. And along this same line... Jesus is promising here that his joy will become your joy when his love becomes your love. And so friends, if that means if we want IPC to be a place of joy, deep, abiding, steadfast joy, then our church's culture must be a place where we love Jesus more today than we did yesterday. And we love what Jesus loves and we love whom Jesus loves. Only then will joy be the end of it all? And yet there's one more thing here. Because Jesus says, and that your joy may be full. There's coming a day, Jesus says, when our joy will be full. We'll be filled to the brim. It'll be like a a loving cup that's filled with wine, sweet wine is flowing over. It will be full. That day's not now. Now, now, as we've experienced, we walk through a veil of tears. We walk through a place of sadness and sorrow. 
We know affliction and absence. We know difficulty in death. Now we only gain tastes and glimpses of that joy because now we only love imperfectly and partially. But friends, there's coming a day when we will know the fullness of joy because we will know the perfection of love. God's love for us, our love for God, God's love for others, our love for others. And on that day, we will enter into the fullness of love and joy because we will have come to heaven ready to do its work, the work of love. On that day, we will discover what C.S. Lewis told his friend Malcolm in his letters to Malcolm, that it's absolutely true that joy is the serious business of heaven. And that's because heaven itself is a world of love. And so, of course, it must be a world of joy. That's where we're heading, my friends, That's where our joys will be full because, as you see, joy, not despair, it's the end of it all. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do long for that day when joy shall be full and love shall be perfect. But Lord, we know that day has not yet come. And so as we walk through this sad world that has such joys and such sorrows mingled together, we long for that day when the morning shall come and we will know joy as a result. Until that day, Lord, we ask that you would feed us and that we would know your presence in such a way that though we weep, we don't weep forever. We rejoice in you. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.